Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. And they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh of, as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we thank you and praise you that you are faithful even when we are not. We thank you that you never forsake, never leave the believer. And we are so grateful for that. We thank you that you've given us the written word of God, that we can have it, that it is inerrant. We thank you and praise you, Father, that you've given it to us for instruction that as we read this epistle, it is not only relevant to those who Peter was writing to, but relevant to this day and age. And I pray, Father, that as the word of God goes forth, it would go forth rightly divided. It would go forth powerfully, and you would accomplish your purpose in each one of us. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Simple title to the message this morning called Arm Yourselves, right from the passage that I just read to you. Uh, we had a break last week as uh, we were away, and um, my son was celebrating his anniversary, and we were babysitting the children. That was a challenge to us again. But back here, we are studying in First Peter, and we note that Peter has been writing and encouraging believers who are suffering, and many things that they are suffering, they're suffering unjustly. They are dealing, we were dealing with people who really did understand what it was to be beaten, understand what it was to experience isolation, rejection of family, social rejection, and even in some cases, death. And he was writing to encourage them, and as he has been writing to encourage them, most recently, and this is part of where the therefore goes back to, though it, I believe, encompasses everything that's been said, is that we have examples. And first of all, the primary example, if you look at verse 18 again, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our example. He is our example to follow. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He who knew no sin and yet was physically abused and rejected of men and suffered many even emotional things that were challenged to him, though undeservedly. 
He was mocked, he was beaten, he was crucified and didn't deserve it. He is our example and has gone before us. But as we have also expounded at the end of chapter 3, God knew that as we look at that, we say, that's fine, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our example. I want to live up to that, but he's God, I'm not. And Peter gave them two examples in addition to the Lord Jesus Christ recently. One was Noah out of the Old Testament. And what was the point of this? They were to be radically different. And I'll come to that again. As believers, our lives are to be radically different from the world. That's what we ended with. And Noah's was radically different. He is the Old Testament visual aid, if you will. While he preached righteousness, he was living in an ungodly world and he was mocked. He was disbelieved. And yet he continued in obedience to God and was a visual aid of God's grace to the world. And they understood that. They knew that. They knew the example of Noah, and we expounded as to why he chose Noah. But then we move to the New Testament believer, because after we move out of verse 20, we go to verse 21, the corresponding being the baptism now saves you. We expounded on that. And what we said was the New Testament believer is God's visual aid to the world of God's grace. If you are saved today, if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and been the benefit of his sacrifice on the cross, you are an example of God's grace. And you and I are a visual aid. On Mother's Day, mothers, uh, for example, that are living for Christ are an example of God's grace who want to live differently from the world and they're a visual aid to the world. That's how it is to be. We had to be radically different and he wanted to encourage them. While they were facing things that were difficult, nevertheless, they were to continue on living under God's grace and be a visual aid to the world. It's interesting, and I'll, I guess I'll mention it now. We just prayed for Ben Kalich. When you see somebody in uniform, Think about it for a second. When I was growing up, the most vivid uniform to me was a Marine. Not that uh, you didn't recognize somebody in the Army or Navy or Air Force. My brother served in the Air Force. My daughter served in the Navy. We, we've had all different aspects, uh, Army in our family. But when you saw them in uniform, there was something about them. doesn't matter where you are in the world. When you see a soldier in uniform, there's a distinction there. Now, I'm not trying to concentrate on the uniform itself, but you see that person, they stand out. They are in an army. They are in the military service. They are distinct. And we know that no matter where we go and we see them. There's something, it's a visual aid that's given to us when they're in uniform. Uh, and I'm not even talking about when they're ready for battle, but just because they belong to the military. And Noah belonged to the Lord. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he stood out. Not because of what he wore, but he stood out as an example of God's grace in a dying world. The believer is to be that way. 
You are to be that way for the Lord Jesus Christ in a radical way, and we'll continue to expand on that. We also saw that baptism was the announcement. And I spent an entire message on how I believe the significance of baptism has been lost in our world today. And uh, it is very much and very much was at the time of Peter's writing a visual aid. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just an easy profession of faith. It went beyond words. There was action to support it. And we saw last time it was an announcement. When baptism took place, it was an announcement that action was taken. It wasn't just a profession of faith. It was following God. And we went back to Matthew, how making disciples includes baptism. There's no concept of just making a mere profession and I'm afraid to be baptized. Baptism was an announcement to the world. And everybody knew that you were standing as a representative of a changed life. A radical change had taken place in your life. It was a break from the old life and now you belong to Christ and you were following Christ. There was no such thing as a silent believer. And it was a visual aid to the world. That is when persecution actually really started. In fact, I think it was Camille, if I remember, after I gave that message, had indicated that in the Middle East, which is true, that as soon as somebody is baptized, that is when the persecution begins to stop. Because it is an announcement that it is really true. So to speak, it's like that's when the real world is on display for the Christian. You know, we talk about the real world, and young people hate that term. Welcome to the real world. Uh, when it's talking about homework, or it's talking about work, or it's talking about rejection, or it's talking about unfair. We need to realize, as Christians, we're living in a real world with real persecution if we're really living for Christ. And Christianity is not about just a mere profession and then living our lives the way we want to live them or an easy life until I get my ticket to heaven. It's not about health, wealth, gospel. We were away in Pennsylvania, as I just said, babysitting in one of the large churches near my son that is out there. Uh, they just recently had a day in which, and I don't want to say that their motives are wrong because I wasn't there for all of it and, and to know all the details behind it. But they had a superhero day in there. Their whole point and message is that God doesn't want you sick. God wants you healthy. God wants you rich. And God wants you to be a superhero. And that was ingrained in the children. The concept of name your superhero and be a superhero. Because that's what God wants. God wants only everything that way. There was no message of taking up the daily cross. Of taking up the cross and living for Christ. And living radically different, away from sin, as a light to the world. And so Peter has been talking to them about that while they're facing this persecution to continue on and to try to encourage them. And he's given them instruction that Christ is our example, Noah's our example, you're now our example to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he comes to chapter 4, he starts with a simple therefore, he is moving from instruction if you will, not that he doesn't continue to teach, because he does, but to a call for action. And he's calling Christians to action, and it's a call for arms. 
It's a call, if you will, allow me the expression, to get in the game. It's a call to be in the battle. Children often sing of, I'm in the Lord's army, and they do all these motions and all the things go on, and Christians talk about being in the Lord's army, but are they? A lot of times there's too much that's going on by people who are not in the battle. Everybody comments about Christianity. Everybody's like news writers, right? They, can, they don't play the sports. I don't listen to those programs on the radio, by the way. And I, if you know my background, I love sports. I don't listen to them. Most of them have never played the game. But they have all the expertise on what should happen or shouldn't happen. And then on Monday morning, they tell you what should have happened in the basketball game, hockey game. They've got all the answers, and they've never gotten in the game. They've never experienced what it was to be hit by somebody 300 pounds. They've never had somebody. I was watching a volleyball game last night, and a national championship was on, and one of the teams had a center that was 6'11". And they never experienced trying to hit a spike against a 6'11 guy and having it come right back and hit you in the face. But they'll comment about how the guy should have done this and should have done that. There's too many in the Christian life that are like that. They never enter into the game. They really don't belong to Christ. They make professions of faith. But they're not in there in the nitty gritty. And they're not involved in the battle at all. That's not what Peter's calling for. He's encouraging them and he calls them to arms. And he starts with therefore. And he's obviously drawing a conclusion on what he's been teaching, particularly in verses 18 through 22 that we've expounded, but as he's been calling throughout the scriptures here to them in his letter. And he says, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, because of Christ, he is our example. He is our savior. He is our teacher. He is our model. And what he has experienced, we can expect to experience. Just look at me in two passages here. Go with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Two verses. Verses 24 and 25. Lord giving instruction. By the way, it's in the passage where he sends out his disciples. And in verse 24, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is not enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house, Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? And he was warning them, you are going to experience the things that I have experienced if you're living for God. That's why it says in the New Testament that if you live godly, you will face persecution. Go with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Just one verse there. Verse 20. In John 15 and verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. This is in the context of the vine. And we will probably get back to that. I hope by the end of the message. But in verse 20 he says... Uh, the slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And you notice the persecution comes with it. So in Peter, he's just calling them back to everything that he has said and reminding them. And so he says, since, since it is true 
that Christ suffered. He suffered in the flesh. He suffered death, and I will talk about that in just a moment. He suffered actually all the way to the point of death. He then says, arm yourselves, verse 1. They ought to arm themselves, and he's talking about a soldier. And he's talking about a soldier who isn't just walking around in a uniform. But he's now talking about the soldier because he takes on that uniform. Now he's ready for the battle. Now he arms himself. Now he puts on the proper equipment to go in to face the enemy. And he calls the Christians that he's been writing to who are facing persecution. Now that you have the knowledge of Christ, now that you have the knowledge that I've been teaching in the first three chapters, arm yourself. Arm yourself with what? He says, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Now what does that mean? This word is only used here in one other place. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. It's right nearby. Hebrews chapter 4. You're going to recognize the verse. This is where it starts, folks. Hebrews chapter 4. We know the first part of verse 12. This is the verse. For the word of God is living. Don't ever forget that. That's why as we face the unsaved, as we face things, it is the word of God, not our intelligence, not our argumentation that works. It's the word of God that's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrows, and here it is, and is able to judge the thoughts. That's the word that's used here in Peter. It's able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so he calls them now, Peter calls them in conclusion based upon the instruction he's been giving them and the fact that Christ is our example and he suffered. He says, arm yourselves with the same purpose. In other words, be thinking the same way. That is where it starts. Our thinking is to be like the thinking of Christ when he was here and he faced his persecution and he faced those things. And how do we do that? Several things will come out in this passage but I want to give you a little outline as I thought about this in preparation and went through it. How does the Christian arm himself for the battle? We know the persecution is going to come. We know that we're still to live for Christ. How do we arm ourselves? And I will say this. I do believe that a lot of Christians don't even think about it. We just go into the day and take it as it comes. And the, the prayer life, the reading of the word, the witnessing, if it happens, it happens. And if something comes along, we then just try to face that without ever getting prepared, without ever being ready. Can you imagine a soldier? We just prayed again for Ben. Can you imagine a soldier getting ready to go into the battlefield and not going in armed? What's going to happen? He will die. How do we do that? Let me give you five points that I want to deal with. They won't all be today. One, you need to know, you and I need to know who we belong to, and who we are. Jesus Christ knew exactly who he was, and he knew exactly who he belonged to, or his position. Second, I think we need to know the enemy. We need to know who the enemy is. If we don't, we're not going to be properly equipped or armed. Third, we need to know what our assignment is, and that's going to come out right in this passage. We need to know what our assignment is. If, uh, you know, Mark's here this morning, he's going to be going over to Thailand. 
If he goes over to Thailand, doesn't know who the enemy is. If he goes over to Thailand, doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. He's not going to get anywhere. That's true of any missionary. Christine Sears will be here in a little while. She serves in Germany. And if you don't know who the enemy is, if you don't know what you're being, who you belong to, if you don't know what your assignment is, how are you going to know whether you accomplished it? Fourth, you need to know what your armor is and what it can do. You need to know what our armor is and what it can do. And then fifthly, we need to know what to expect. We need to know what to expect because this passage is going to bring out, and we won't get that far today, but it's going to bring out, if you're living for Christ, you can expect the world to reject you. You can expect the world to hate you. And it's not because of the uniform. It's because of who you belong to. So let's start with that. How can we properly arm ourselves? Number one, know who you belong to. The Lord Jesus Christ, I say that because he's our example. He knew who he was. According to Philippians, he knew that he was God, yet he didn't grasp onto that. Why? Because he knew that he could not function without the Father. He always did what the Father wanted. He and the Father were one and are one. And they worked together. He knew who he belonged to. He didn't function in his own power. He didn't function independently. There's a lot of believers that are trying to function that way, professing believers. If we don't come back to the fact that we've been bought with a price, go with me to a very familiar passage, 1 Corinthians 6. Who am I? You know, Timothy talks about a soldier, since we mentioned a soldier. And he says he doesn't get entangled in the things of this world. He belongs now as a soldier to the government, if you will. It doesn't matter what country you're serving in. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, well-known passage, we need to come back to this. In verse 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. I am not my own. If you profess faith in Christ and are a true believer, you don't belong to you. It's not up to you to decide what you're going to do, where you're going to go, what you're going to be. You belong to somebody else. And then it says in verse 20, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been purchased. Salvation isn't just a ticket to heaven. We have been purchased by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That atoning sacrifice that paid the penalty and debt that was against us for our sin now means we belong to him. That's what it is being a Christian. It's not, this isn't a part-time job. This isn't going to work or school and then, by the way, on Sunday I go to church and I become a Christian. That's religion. That's traditionalism. That's what many are getting caught up into. It is a life. It is 24-7 when you belong to Christ. In fact, if I don't remember that, I won't remember that I can't accomplish anything. Go back. I said John 15. Go there again. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. 
You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Watch this. For apart from me, you can what? Nothing. Is that the mindset that we have when we go armed into our battle plan, if you will, or into the battle of just living for Christ? Is it that I belong to him, and is it that I can't accomplish anything, or do we just come up with all of our plans and then expect God to bless? That's the way a lot of believers try to run their life. That is not how we arm ourselves. It, you will not be able to survive even as a mother that way. You won't, because you'll get frustrated in your relationship with your husband, in your relationship with your children, in relationship with God. It's true with all of us. We need to arm ourselves with, I belong to God, and I can only accomplish things God's way with his power. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. That's where it all starts. When the Lord Jesus Christ came, it says, most famous verse quoted in scripture, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, his unique son. He knew where he came from. He knew why he was here. He knew what he was here for. And he knew what he had to accomplish. In Galatians chapter 3, one of the problems that happened with the Galatian saints is, as you know, there was confusion in the gospel and the Judaizers had come in. They had, Paul had preached the gospel of salvation by grace alone and now they're coming in and say, yeah, but you need circumcision, you need to add to the law. And they were trying to live the Christian life by law. It doesn't happen that way. And in Galatians chapter 3, just get down to verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's where it starts. It starts in knowing that in the battle, I can't accomplish anything without Christ. I need to yield to the Spirit of God. He needs to have control of my life. All I am is a sinner that's been saved by grace, if you will, and I won't turn you there. I was just going to turn there. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul understood that too. He said that basically he was the chief of sinners. He had nothing to boast of. But he belonged to Christ. He was a vessel that had been changed by Christ. And he belonged to him. And so we arm ourselves, first of all, with I belong to Christ and I need to accomplish things in his power. That's how it happens. Not through me. So know who you belong to. Secondly, know who the enemy is. And I don't know that we always think that way. You know, in my generation growing up, it was war has always been around. But I think it took a major change in the Vietnam War. Because prior to that, we knew who the enemy was. It was pretty distinct. You knew by the way they looked. You knew by how they spoke. But when it came to the Vietnam War, things were different. Sometimes the people working in the fields that they thought were the friends were the enemies. And they couldn't make the distinctions. And, and they couldn't know. Well, why bring this one up? If you're going to arm yourself, you need to know who you belong to. You also need to know who the enemy is. Even in civil war, in the civil war of this country, they knew there was blue and there was gray. They knew who they were fighting. There was distinctions. Let me tell you who the enemy is not. It's not your neighbor. 
Sometimes we think it's our neighbor. Sometimes we think it's the unsaved. That's the mission field, not the enemy. Sometimes we think it's believers, our work. I just can't wait till it doesn't work. Christ had us right from creation, working for his honor and glory. We think it's disease. No, it's not. You know who the enemy is, I hope. But you better know who the first one is. You know who the first enemy is? Our flesh. Our flesh. It's the sin that dwells in us. In fact, in this passage, he brings it out. He says he ceased from sin. The one that has set his mind and has armed himself and has the same type of thinking realizes that he suffers in the flesh. He ceased from sin. He knew what the problem was. Why? The rest of his time is not to be spent in the flesh, in the lusts of men. And we'll get to the next one, but in the will of God. It is our flesh that we battle against. We even think it's Satan first. Well, he's the enemy, yes. And we think the world, it is. But we need to start with ourselves. It is our flesh. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, you know it well. The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit lusteth against the flesh. And they're contrary the one to the other. Go with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. If we're going to arm ourselves for battle, we need to know that we belong to Christ. We need to know that he is our master. We need to know that the enemy starts within. In Matthew chapter 15, let me just move ahead down to verse 18. He's ex actually explaining a parable here. But in verse 18, he says, But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Uh, excuse me, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart, this is our flesh, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things that defile a man. A lot of times professing Christians are going around with all of this stuff in their life. And don't even recognize that the enemy is their own heart. They're not walking with God the way they should. And what happens? Whether it be greed, whether it be gluttony, whether it be selfishness, whether it be pride, whether it be immorality, we battle with that every day. We've gotten victory. Christ got victory over it for us. But we still live in this body. And they were living in that body. And there is the constant battle that goes on every day. And the enemy starts here. What my eyes see. Where my thinking goes. Where my lips end up going. But lots of times we don't even see that as the enemy. And we don't see how much we need to depend upon the one we belong to. And we need to yield to the spirit of God. And let him have his way in our life. And of course, yeah, there's a second one. The world. But what is it? It's its philosophy. It's values. And again, it points back to that. In 1 John chapter 2, probably has come to a number of people's mind already. But in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, do not love the world. 
And people see that, they think it's the idea of possessions or the idea of living nice or having money or having, that's not it at all. Nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, what is it? Here it is again, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, the one we belong to. That's from the world. Those things that talk about its values or its success. Joshua had it right way back in the early part of the word of God. What is it that brings success? The man of God who knows the word of God and obeys it. That's the one who will have a life of success. Our society is just get ahead. It's more money. It's more possessions. And even in the area of motherhood, talk about Mother's Day. You are not to let the world's values take over. They've diminished the concept of motherhood as being anything of value. We ought to be lifting it up. We ought to understand how important it is. Marriage. The whole concept of marriage has been changed by our society. That's the world's thinking. The world's thinking is it's not just husband and wife. It's not mom and dad. You don't adopt that thinking. You go back to the word of God. And you stand on the word of God. There's no concept in the world of what's right and wrong anymore. And yet Christians are just bouncing along with it. No, our enemy is our own flesh. And our enemy is the thinking of the philosophy of the world. That's why you have Romans chapter 12 verse 1 that you could probably quote. But I'll read it to you anyway. Verses 1 and 2. What does it say? Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world. It's talking about the philosophy, the thinking. But watch this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What do we say as we started 1 Peter? Arm yourselves with the same purpose. Think like Christ thought. And obviously the devil. Revelation chapter 12 says he's our enemy. He's our enemy. So who, who is the enemy? It's not our neighbors. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They need the gospel of Christ. You are the light to them. They're not an enemy. I know I've shared with you from the pulpit, and it's still true. Um, I've had a number of Christians live in the same street that I live on. It's a true story. And I had one Christian family that would not allow their children to play with my children. In fact, I've told you this, when they came down the street, they actually told their children to walk on the other side of the street, not walk in front of my house. And the reason was this. Because I allowed my children and I went out of the way to play with the children who are unsaved on our street. And I used to have them come over and play ball. And I had believers who wouldn't even let the kids walk in front of my home. Because I was letting my kids reach out to the unsaved children in the neighborhood and play with them. The thinking's wrong. Your neighbor needs the gospel of Christ. He's dead. Dead in his trespasses and sins. And the only one that can make him alive is God through the living word of God, the gospel. 
We need to have that thinking. They're not the enemy. Too often, Christians think that the enemy is Christians. I got saved out of my background was Roman Catholicism. And I have a lot of respect for the IFCA when I was growing up in Sarat, but I very clearly didn't know much. I didn't know anything, but I did know this, that one of the things that used to be joked about with all the time was the initials. I fight with Christians anywhere. I fight with Christians all the time. And that, that's not to be joked about. But the problem was that that's the other thing. Sometimes you think that the enemy's sitting over there or sitting over there. And we lose track that the fact that the enemy is the way I'm thinking about other believers. It's the way I'm thinking about the lost. It's the way I'm thinking about the world and its values. It's the way I'm thinking about Satan. You see, when the Lord Jesus Christ came in, he never lost focus. His thinking was centered above. What has Peter taught us? Peter taught us that we are aliens, chapter 1. Peter taught us that our home is in heaven and we have an inheritance that's undefiled, that fades not away. And he's instructed those believers, get that into your thinking. I need to have it in my thinking. And arm myself. And what, what is our assignment? What is our assignment? All of our assignments are the same. You say, now, Pastor Dan, you've really lost it because I know there's all kinds of different spiritual gifts. Yes, but come down to this, chapter 4, Right here of 1 Peter, and look at the end of verse 2. I am not here to satisfy my flesh, but for the will of God. That's my assignment. That's your assignment. That's thinking like Christ thought. What is it? He always did the will of God. He was always here to please God. Why? He knew that he and the Father were one. If I know that I've been bought with a price, if I know that I belong to God, I can arm myself with the assignment of knowing what? I need to please him, not myself. Just, just look at a couple of quick verses. John chapter 4. I'll go to John and Matthew to make it easy this morning. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to arm ourselves with the same thinking? Well, let's try John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 34. The Lord said this. It's to them, my food is what? To do the will of him that sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what I'm here for. That's why he was here. Go to chapter 5, same book. Look at verse 30. I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear I judge my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will. The will of him who sent me. We're to think like Christ. Chapter 6, verse 38. Very next chapter. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. What was it ultimately? You know, it was Matthew 26. I won't have you turn there. Father, if it be possible, let this be removed from me. Nevertheless, not what? My will, but thy will be done. And he prayed that in the Garden of Gethsemane. What was it ultimately? Ultimately, it was his death. 
I told you I'd come back to that. He was here, and he was here to do the will of the Father right to death. What is a soldier? Listen, don't miss this. Every single soldier who is armed for battle has to be prepared for what? What else? Death. Let me ask myself and you honestly. Are we as Christians living that way? That my life is so committed to the things of God that I am so wrapped up in wanting to please him that as a soldier I'm arming myself that just as Christ, when it says with the same purpose, right to the point of death it says in Philippians chapter 2, that I am prepared to die if that's what it means. That's where the martyrs were. That's where some Christians are in this world today who are baptized, who are ready to be facing places in the Philippians or over in China and other places where there's real persecution that's being faced and it doesn't matter. Their life is on the line. But because we get comfortable in the United States of America or we get uncomfortable in our environment of Christianity, are we really living as somebody that's prepared to die? I go into the battle today. If this is the last thing today, I will stand for the truth of Christ if it costs me my life. Because I am here to please the Father. That is how we ought to be armed. Armed to please the Lord in everything that we do. And again, I'll start with you mothers today. Raise your children. Be the mother that God wants you to be. Don't adapt the philosophy of the world, no matter what they think. We're so influenced. We attach the name Christianity. We attach the name Christ. But we don't go back to the fact that my whole thinking should be, I belong to him. He controls my life. I need to realize the enemy starts right in my own heart. My own heart wants to go out against Christ. Why do you think Peter denied him? Peter didn't know it. Oh, I'll go to death with you, Lord. This day, Peter, you're going to deny me. This day. The pressure came on Peter in another way, and he's the one that's writing. That's why I'm picking on Peter. Pressure came so he's in a Gentile environment, and all of a sudden, Paul's got to go in face to face and say, why are you trying to make the Gentiles live like the Jews? And he had to confront them. Why? Because within him was the pressure of society. It was the pressure of the world, and his own flesh wanted to give into it. He wasn't armed properly at the time. We need to be armed for the battle. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Don't just look at it and say, yeah, I need to be armed. What does it mean? It means my assignment is to live for Christ wherever I am. Whatever God's called me to do. And my thinking is that I'm living for him and I am doing what he wants. In Colossians chapter 1, in verse 10. I'll go back to 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of him. And watch this, the knowledge of his will. Isn't that what we're called to do? To live out the word of God, to live out the will of God in 1 Peter. To be filled with his knowledge in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And to use the soldier to walk worthy of that uniform that you represent 
to a soldier in the United States that represents freedom. It represents a cost for the Christian to be just saying that I'm a Christian should represent Christ. It should represent the grace of God. It should represent the grace of God that's totally distinct and radical from what the world is in its thinking, in its actions. And he goes on to say, to please him, what? In all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. That's what God wants. Fruit in our life. And to be strengthened with power and his might as he goes on. One of the passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's just go there quickly. It's right nearby. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 1. Finally, this is Paul writing. Then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually walk. That you will excel still more. For you know the commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And on he goes. You know those same things that battle up in our flesh. And that's what he says. That's the will of God. So what's our assignment? We're called to arms. And I'll have to stop here today. What is our call to arms? Our call to arms is to get ready for the battle, but we can't get ready for the battle if we don't know who we belong to. And we don't recognize that I don't belong to myself anymore. Let me start with that. If you're a professing Christian today, is Christ really the one that owns your life? Or is it just an add-on? Do you understand who the enemy is? I don't know about you, but I battle my flesh every day. Every day. And if you don't, I'd like to talk to you because I'd like to know how it's possible not to. Because my enemy is myself first. And then the philosophy of the world. The internet's tremendous. Technology is unbelievable. It is. Now you don't even have to talk to a person at a restaurant. What is that thing now? You can just order food and have it ready for you. You don't even have to talk to people anymore. But as great and as advanced as all of that is, I want to be sure that the world's philosophy doesn't get into my thinking. So that it affects how I look at God. So I think that God just wants me to be a superhero. God wants me to yield to the spirit of God as a believer and to live his will out in my life. To be a living testimony, that's where he came from in Peter. Who's been baptized, who said to the world, my life has been radically changed and I'm living for Christ. Who is ready to take up his cross daily. I didn't get there, but I'll finish with that. How are we taking up our cross daily? You've heard it taught many times. The cross is an instrument of death. I need to die to self. I need to die to the world. But I'm alive unto God. Romans is great with that. The life that I now live, I'm alive. I live the resurrected life. But I need to take up my cross. And I need to follow him on a daily basis. 
That's what a call to arms is. It's to be ready. And then I need to know what my equipment is, and that's part of the difficulty. We'll see that, Lord willing, next week, uh, the week after, because we have the ordination next week. You know, we have tremendous weapons. Can you imagine a soldier going into a battle without his gun, without the hand grenades or whatever else he has? Even David knew what he had. He knew who the enemy was, and as big as he was, people thought he had a small instrument, but he knew what his instruments was, and he knew how to use it. We'll talk about that. Do we even know? I read this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, our weapons are very powerful. And you know where it starts? It is able to take down the thoughts that will be contrary to God, that will be contrary to the things of God, that would take me out of the will of God. But I need to yield to the spirit of God. Let's arm ourselves. Let's arm ourselves for this week's battles, this day's battles. And let's, as true believers, come back to the place of realizing who I belong to, be grateful for that, be thankful that God is faithful. Recognize the enemy and be determined that by God's grace, not in my own strength, but by his power, as the Lord Jesus Christ's thinking was to live for the Father, I will live radically in this world in the sense of living for the will of God in my life so that he would be pleased. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for Peter and his boldness. Peter had experienced persecution and, according to tradition, even death by the cross. Father, he was ready to die. People are ready to make professions of faith pretty easily today. But I pray, Father, you'd help us to examine our profession and help us to examine realizing who we belong to. Help us to have the same thinking and purpose that Christ had, and that is to live for the will of God, not to yield to sin as we battle every day in our own flesh. Help us, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians and the Galatians, to recognize that if we walk by the power of the Spirit, we will not yield to the flesh. And I pray that you'd have your way in our life that you would get the glory, that, Father, we truly would be pleased and be a soldier that knows who, are, who we're serving and what we're trying to accomplish. Guide us in this day now, we ask in Christ's name.